Good morning, folks. Thank you for coming back and joining me this morning on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And today, folks, we've got a jam-packed show for you with four outstanding guests that I'm really looking forward to sharing with you. We'll get a lot of great tips and playing lessons. We'll hear, you know, from three of the best instructors that you'll find anywhere. Plus, we'll be talking about memories and insights from one of the best players out on the Champions Tour as well. We'll kick off today's show with Travis Fulton. And Travis has been named one of the top 40 under 40 instructors. He's worked with guys like Fred Funk and Led Matisse and alongside Calvin Pete. He is also a regular co-host on the Morning Drive Show on the Golf Channel. So I'll be uh, picking his brain a lot when he joins me here in just a few minutes. Following Travis, I'll be joined by Champions Tour player Mark Wiebe. Mark has eight professional wins, including the 2013 Senior Open Championship, which was held at Royal Burkdale, which is a site of this year's Open Championship in just a few weeks. So, you know, we'll look back over Mark's career and, you know, the majority of his wins. We'll talk about how they came. Most of them came in playoffs. So we'll hear his memories from his major victory, plus how he overcame playoff pressure to win. He'll join me a little bit later on in this half hour. Following Mark, I'll get a return visit from the wedge guy, Terry Kaler. We'll get some more tips from Terry, how to pitch and chip the ball closer to the hole. We'll also talk about how to get better distance control out of our wedges. Terry will be along a little bit later on in this hour. And then we'll round out the show with a return visit from Debbie O'Connor from uh, Golf Positive. For those of you who join me regularly here on the show, you know Debbie always makes my cheeks hurt so much because, uh, you know, from smiling so much during her segments. She's got a new book out titled Golf Positive, Live Positive, Lessons Lessons in Golf and Life. Again, Golf Positive, Live Positive, Lessons in Golf and Life. So we'll talk about that, plus how to be more confident out on the golf course and, uh, you know, how to stop all the negative self-talk that we do to ourselves when we make a poor swing or have a bad hole. Debbie will join me at the top of the next hour. So we've got a ton of great stories and information coming your way on this edition of Next on the Tee. I'm so glad that you're here to take the journey with me over the next 90 minutes. Next on the Tee is sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondonera about all the great things that they're doing up there. Play the courses the champions play. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lick Resort. The 2017 NCGOA National Course of the Year, our Pete Dye course hosts the first ever Senior LPGA Championship presented by Old National Bank this July. French Lick's Donald Ross course is looking good as it turns 100 this summer and hosts the Donald Ross Centennial Classic Symmetra Tour event. Book your golf vacation now at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, be sure to go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself, folks, how great a place it is and to book your stay. And speaking of great, you've heard me talk about over the last several months, you know, about the meteoric rise of the Bradley Putter Company from concept back on Black Friday last, you know, last November to one of the sensations at the PGA Merchandise Show back in January. Well, you know, I got mine and folks, it's a beauty. You know, we're proud to be, you know, partnering with Bradley to help promote their unique line of putters made from burl wood, folks. And these aren't ornamental putters. You know, people are raving about the look and feel of the Bradley putter. You know, the custom one that I got is, you know, it can be in the, in the colors and the shape that you like. So I've got mine. Mine's in yellow and black to support my Pittsburgh teams. It's got a great feel when you stroke the ball. Go online to bradleyputters.com to see for yourself how fantastic this new line of putters really is. Plus, also be sure to check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Company. Summer's here, folks. Is your wardrobe ready? The folks at Bobby Jones are, and they can help you find the perfect way to liven up your wardrobe for this summer. 
from polo shirts to tech shorts and pants to belts, you name it. Everything you need to feel great and look great, whether you're in the office, out on the town, or out on the golf course. Go to bobbyjones.com to see their new summer line. Plus, while you're in a Bobby Jones frame of mind, go to bobbyjonesclubs.com to see the great line of drivers, fairway woods, and hybrids designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers, and that's Mr. Jesse Ortiz. Like his father, Lou, and Bobby Jones himself, Jesse has a passion for golf and golf club design. You remember his great tri-metal fairway woods from his days back at Olimar. Well, now he's putting his creativity and his innovative designs to work creating golf, great golf equipment for the Bobby Jones Company. Check them out online by going to bobbyjonesclubs.com. Also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Callaway Golf. Callaway has been the fastest-growing golf, uh, golf ball brand since 2013, and the Chrome Soft Golf Ball is a major reason why. Chrome Soft is extremely fast, incredibly soft, and unbelievably easy to control, which is why Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, and Jim Furyk have all changed to the Chrome Soft. You've got to be willing to change to get better. Chrome Soft and the new Chrome Soft X are in stores now. See, why, see what they can do for you by going to CallawayGolf.com. Chrome Soft, it's the ball that changed the ball. And if you were with me a couple of weeks ago, you heard the great things that Russ Holden and the folks over at Caddy for a Cure are doing. Uh, you know, I believe so heavily in what Russ and his team are doing that we're proud to be partnering with them now. One of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you now with Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting you know, our wounded service members and our veterans out there, plus uh, Fancona anemia. You get to walk side-by-side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to you know, the amazing experience you're going to have, you're going to receive a fantastic gift package from Caddy for your Cure including Under Armour logoed apparel and eyewear and an eyewear package as well. A tour-grade caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a tin cup ball uh, marking gift, plus chef's cut real jerky, a profession, you know, a professional photo for your day as well. So go to caddyforacure.com to learn more about this great opportunity that they have for you. All right, now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Travis Fulton. Let me give you some more background on Travis. He was raised in Kellogg, Idaho. He played three years of college golf at Lewis and Clark State College, which is a small NAIA school up in Lewiston, Idaho. He won the Pacific Northwest Athletic Conference Championship his junior year, firing a final round 66 to win by a stroke. On the same course where he won that title, Bryden Canyon Golf Course, he holds the course record of 61. Travis was with the uh, PGA Tour Academy when it first opened, and he has been the director of education for all their facilities, as well as being the head instructor for the PGA Tour Golf Academy at the World Golf Village down in St. Augustine. He's been a contributing writer to PGATour.com and Golf Illustrated. He was named a top 40 under 40 instructor by Golf Digest and best teacher in the state of Florida. He's a regular co-host on the Golf Channel's Morning Drive, as well as a regular guest on the PGA Tour Network on Sirius XM and DirecTV's Launchpad. He's worked with Fred Funk and Len Matisse out on tour and alongside Calvin Pete, and I'm delighted to have him with me this morning here on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Travis. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, good morning. Thank you for uh, thanks for having me. So, Travis, before we start talking golf, when I was doing the research on you and on Lewis and Clark State College, one of the uh, other alumni is a guy that I've had the privilege of interviewing a couple of times on the baseball side. I'm a big Red Sox fan and forever grateful to former closer Keith yeah. Polk. Curious if you ever had a chance to meet Keith. 
No, no, I haven't. I know, um, you know, Lewis and Clark has been a uh, powerhouse there in NAIA for uh, baseball for a long time, and their uh, their golf program now is starting to, to take form as well. But, um, yeah, a lot of good players um, have come from Lewis Clark State College. It was fun to to hear you read that and kind of take me back way back when, when uh, the good old college days when uh, life was easy and playing golf and having a good time. So let's you know go. Let's take that a step further, Travis. You know, Bryden Canyon Golf Course has got to hold a very special place in your heart. You yeah, you played some great golf there. Talk about that golf course and the in the tournament that you won. Yeah, it's uh you know Lewiston, Idaho, uh, Clarkston, Washington, big part of the Lewis and Clark Expedition. Of course, it's a terrific part of the country, and um, you know I spent uh, my time growing up in the Pacific Northwest. And, um, it, it's, a, it's a golf course that sits, you know, right on the hill here. The, the two major rivers, the Snake River and the Clearwater, that's where they, they come together right there at the, at the valley. And it sits way down. People think of Idaho, they think of, you know, winter and, and skiing and, and all that. And I certainly grew up in that in the northern part of the state. But when you get into the central there and the rivers come together, you, you really, you know, you sit down at a much lower elevation so you can play golf year round. It was, it was a it was a good spot to play college golf uh, a golf course that we played uh that we played quite a bit and um to be able to you know close out the the big tournament that we had every year there with a with a 66 was really cool to win by one and then and then the following year to shoot the course record so i like that place it's the uh, it's the only record that i have it's the lowest um round of golf that uh, that i've ever shot and um it still holds true up there today so you know, to that end, a 61 is is something you know so unfathomable for so many of us, you know, to to imagine having you know having a round like that. Take us through that round, and you know, at, you know, at some point, I have to imagine, you know, thoughts of you know 59, you know, those sorts of things have got to creep into your mind. How do you stay focused and you know keep the charge going to shoot a 61? Yeah, right. You um, you know, one of the things that you have to to learn how to do as a player is you have to learn how to keep going, right? And I've always said in teaching the game since then for 18 years that, you know, it's difficult. You know, there's two things that become difficult in golf. One is after a bad hole, it's very challenging, right, mentally. But then also after you get it going and, and you start getting into that position where, you know, you're, you could play a really good round of golf and it's easy to protect. So, you know, failure and success can challenge you. And, you know, when you're, you're a, a player trying to, you know, kind of break through internal barriers of trying to continue to go lower and not protect, um, I think is a real thing that uh, people have to do and learn how to get comfortable with. And I can remember, um, you know, in that round, um, you know, just continuing to, I think I got it to, you know, when I got to like seven or eight under par and, you know, you had, you know, four or five holes to go standing there thinking, you know, I just, just keep playing golf, right? There's no reason why you just can't keep doing what you're doing. There's no need to protect and make a bogey come in and be happy with a 65 or a 66, but rather, you know, just continue to, to do what you do and be aggressive and, and uh, go for it. Unfortunately, I was able to continue to make putts coming in and, and, uh, and birdie the last hole to shoot 61, which I was really, um, thrilled with to you know to finish it off with a birdie. So it uh, it was a lot of fun. I haven't even come close to sniffing a sixty one since. And um, but I'll take that uh, I'll take that one day for sure. 
Yeah, and you know, just you know, one more on that on that same topic. You know, to your point, success often gets us you know off track, right? My father refers to it as you know, sort of reading your press clippings, right? And you've birdied five, six, seven, eight holes, right? You start to you know, I mean, sometimes you you lose that focus because you start to think, yeah, this game's easy, right? right? You know, so talk about you know how. How do you how do you keep that you know all those sort of ancillary thoughts that come into our minds? How do you keep that out, and then you know continue continue the birdie charge so that you don't you know let the success sort of get to your head in the middle of a round? Yeah, well, I'll try to stay away from the the natural cliches, right? That we hear of you know one shot at a time and those kinds of things. We all know it's true, but it you know when you when you start getting yourself in that moment. You have a lot of listeners right now where, you know, maybe, you know, if you have a 10 handicap and they, you know, say the 10 handicap is even par with, you know, four or five holes to play, which would be, you know, probably a record round for them if they could close that out. So we all have those thresholds and, you know, benchmarks that we're trying to to get to and and break through barriers that um, may hold us back. And oftentimes, you know, they're internal barriers and the mental side of the game. And, you know, I think um, I think you have to learn to be comfortable um, being uncomfortable, right? Like you have to learn how to, you know, once the the pressure is on, you have to you have to learn from those experiences and then um, learn how to um, learn from how you're dealing with those particular parts of experiences. What are your tendencies? For me, you know, when I would get a good round of golf going, I would get a little bit. Um, my, my speed would slow down. I would get a little. Um, I think, you know, lazy through the impact zone and almost, you know, kind of manufacture it and steer it and protect and not and, and the fear of, 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 you know, making a bad shot rather than keeping my speed up, continue to be aggressive through the impact zone and just kind of letting it be what it is. So, you know, that was, those are the things that I've discovered, um, in my game and, and, and I would always just continue to remind myself, keep your speed up, continue to be aggressive through the impact zone, be instinctive and let those things, um, play out. So I think, you know, you have to put yourself in those positions first, get uncomfortable, get the heartbeat going, learn how you respond to those things. And then I think you can start to identify those things and kind of start to, um, improve upon those things. No different, Chris, than, than when someone comes in and you look at their golf swing and the club face is too open and you want to get it more square. You know, you, you learn from those experiences from a technical standpoint, a skill set standpoint. And I think it's the same when you get into tournament play or you get into those rounds where you're playing well. You know, learn how you, you have to deal with those situations better, but you gotta, you gotta get in those situations first. And the more you get in those situations, then I think, um, if you're paying attention, the better off you'll be. Now, Travis, I read that, you know, you used to do a lot of work with, with Calvin Pete, who might be the straightest driver of the golf ball ever. And in one of the articles I read, it said you guys used to do a lot of golf schools together and he always made you teach the bunker shots. Talk about <laughs> yeah. why he made you do those. Well, Calvin was a great man. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time with Calvin Pete when I first moved to Florida and got to know him and his family. And, um, um, he, he's someone that I miss and he's someone that, um, you know, we had a lot of conversations about when he played and, um, and, you know, the game and what it meant to him. You know, he was kind of a late starter in the game and, um, you know, really took to the game and it's just amazing how quickly he, um, you know, succeeded and just how well he did on tour. It's a 12 time, 
you know, PGA Tour winner, won the Players' Championship, just a tremendous career. I would say that uh, probably the straightest driver of the golf ball. Um, he told me he hit one ball out of bounds in his entire career, and the only reason that he hit it out of bounds was because the caddy gave him the right, the wrong sideline. And um, so he, he takes <laughs> – he says he would have never hit a ball out of bounds um, in the entire time he was on tour. But we did a lot of schools together, and, and uh, you know, when you do schools, you split up. Oftentimes, you know, you'll have someone doing full swing, you'll have someone doing short game, and we'd always get to the bunkers, and we'd have, we'd oftentimes, we would keep, we would put the groups together when we would go to the sand, and Calvin would never want to do the bunkers. So finally, I, you know, I said one day, I asked him at lunch, I said, you know, Calvin, I said, why don't you ever want to get in the bunkers and talk about bunker playing and he said well i'm not a good he goes i'm not a very good bunker player at all and i and i got to thinking i was you know calvin you're a 12-time winner on the pga tour you're a better bunker player than all of us i imagine and he says no i'm really not a good bunker player at all and i said well, why do you think that is he says well because i was never in them and i said well fair <laughs> enough i'll do bunkers from here on out <laughs> he was never in them he was he was dead serious and uh you know he just uh he was your you know, he was your point A to point B guy. You know, he, he didn't hit it very far, but he knew how far he hit it, and he knew how he had to play the golf course, and that's what he did, and he was very disciplined with that, and he didn't get the ball, um, you know, he didn't he didn't get it out of position very often, and as a result of that, he's never in the bunkers. So all, all of those times that, you know, you spent with him, did he ever teach you anything? <laughs> um yeah, no, 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 no question about it. You know, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I always, well, there's a lot of things I was impressed with with Calvin, his memory, number one. I mean, he just had an incredible memory about, you know, playing the game and the people that influenced him and each particular shot and how the whole played. I just, I was always fascinated by his detail of how the whole played. You know, and you could tell you were listening to a a professional golfer in that his preparation and the way he articulated playing a particular hole and where he didn't want to be and where he wanted to be based upon different, um, you know, pin placements and different things like that. So it was always fascinating to hear him talk about playing the game, how he went about um, playing the game. The second thing is, is, what what always impressed me with Calvin was, you know, it was really a bit of an unorthodox type of swing. It's probably the weakest left-hand grip you'll ever see. Um, you know, he broke his elbow when he was young. His left arm didn't extend fully out. And part of that, his left hand wouldn't, he couldn't really put his left hand on the grip in what we would consider, say, a neutral to, to strong. We look at Spieth's grip. It's a pretty weak left-hand Calvin was much weaker than that off to the side. You look at his setup, his grip very weak, his head's pretty much right over the golf ball. And as a teacher, you're like, wow, you know, those two things you don't see a lot, right? You know, you just don't see that weak of a grip. You don't see good players have their head over the ball. You see him having it more behind it. And and he just kind of built his swing from there where he, you know, he kind of took it way outside and then he, he, you know, he really kind of rerouted it, dropped it back down inside, and then just controlled the impact position beautifully. I always joked with him, Chris. I said, Calvin, I said, at address, I said, if I didn't know who you were and I was watching you hit balls and I was looking at your swing, I said, you're probably a 20 handicap at address. You look like a 10 handicap going back. 
and then you look like a plus five professional golfer coming through the impact zone. I said, your swing just got better and better as it went. And the only thing that counts is what's happening at impact. And, and that's what he instinctively controlled so well. And it was just amazing to watch him hit drivers. Um, and, and just the accuracy was just so impressive. And Travis, you're, you're a cert, you're certified in biomechanics, club fitting, track man, and several other very technical applications. Talk about what those applications can do to help us understand our swings and to get better. Plus, is there a danger of players sort of getting trapped in analysis paralysis? Well, there's always a danger for sure. Um, you know, I think we live in the, in the information era now, and it's just not golf. It's everything. We, information is, is is at our disposal quickly. All we got to do is grab the phone and start to search, and it's it's there. So um, I think things are you know not just golf, but they're we're, they're more researched, they're more measured, and that information is available. I think it's a good thing for the teachers. Um, I think it's helped uh, move the needle um, in what we know and and how things work. Um, things as I knew it 18 years ago when I first started teaching. Um, to the way it is now is very different, and I think that's a good thing. And I think that's a, you know, we're progressing. I think that the practicality of it and how teachers um, use it and implement it um, uh, is is where the danger comes in because you know not everybody needs to have that data in front of them. Some like it, some don't, and I think it's up to the teacher to make sure that they're you know applying that in a reasonable manner and that and and that influences the student um, in the right direction. Um, I think, you know, in, in growing up, you know, when I first got into the industry of, of where 2D video was prominent, I mean, that was really how we looked at the swing. We would measure it or with we would video it with a camera. And, and that's still very much how my eyes are trained. And then we went from 2D video to uh, launch monitors, which started with Looking what the, looking at what the golf ball was doing, then it came into how the club was working through impact, and it started to give us numbers, which was a learning curve. And then, um, you know, we get into force plates and how people interact with the ground and use the ground for speed. Um, and and you know, this progression has just continued into 3D video. So I think from a education standpoint, it's a wonderful thing for teachers. It's moved things along. It's created opportunity. Um, but I think over the years we've, we've become much better, I think, in the presentation of it and, and, and who it's going to help and who maybe it doesn't apply to. So, uh, it's, it's a work in progress. I think it's a good thing. I think you see the best players in the world benefit from it. Um, but like anything else, the more information you have and the more tools that you have available to it, you have to be very sensitive to how you use it so you don't get, uh, so you don't get paralyzed. So to that end, Travis, when when we go to a PGA Tour Superstore or we come to to meet with, you know, a, an instructor like yourself, you know, if one of our listeners was to come and meet with you and talk talk about what how do you assess what we're doing, you know, what we're doing well, what we need help with, and then, you know, which which of the the numbers, if you will, are you looking for to find out, you know, where in our swing, you know, we we got to we got to fix. Yeah, well, I think you know, I think the first, it's a good question, and I'll, and I'll try to streamline this. And, you know, when a new student shows up, you, you know, there's always an interview process. And I think for me, in talking to a student, um, you know, I always want to, to kind of get a gauge to what golf means to that person. Um, how serious of a player are they? Are they 
um, someone who is playing in college golf? Are they someone who wants to play professionally? Are they someone who plays once every two weeks? Or are they someone that just wants to get rid of this, you know, this fade or slice off to the right? So I think getting some degree of the expectation level, how much time they put into it, um, it, it kind of will give me some sense to how much this thing needs to be ramped up, right? And how much you really, how you want to coach this particular person. And I think knowing your audience, knowing your, your, the person that you're teaching is a very important part of growing one's business that I encourage young teachers all the time, um, in, in learning how to make this a real occupation for them is, is understanding their audience. Because the reality is, is not every player who wants to stand on a force plate. Not every player wants to have all these numbers in 2D video. Some just want to hit some balls, have a conversation, and have a couple things to work on, right? And, and I think you have to teach those people appropriately. So, you know, I, I think for me, when I when I do video on them, I think most like some sense of 2D video. I think we, most human beings have an element of, of visual learning to them. Not all, but most do, it seems. Um I'll share a few numbers um, with the majority of my students. Uh, I like for them to see um, what their attack angle is, which is basically how steep um, the club is moving through impact. I like them to see what their swing direction is, which is basically, you know, which way they're swinging the club relative to the target. Are they swinging to the right? Are they swinging to the left? Um, I like them to see what their launch angle is, you know, how high they're launching the ball. Um, and then I think the spin as well, which, you know, is always important, uh, especially when you get to the driver. So I think those are, you know, four general, there's others that I, that I will share. Um, but I think, you know, getting a sense of how steep, which way you're swinging the club, um, what your launch is, your spin starts to give them some structure to how their swing is working. Um, you match that up with video. I think it's a very nice presentation and based on, you know, which way, you know where they where we want to go with, with from there to help them develop their skills is really where you know the teacher separates himself. I've always said, you know, you can give them good information, but you have to put it in the right order to really develop skill sets. And for those that that want to work on it, they want to become a better player, and they want to develop their skills. Well, that's where, as a teacher, you have to give them good info, but you have to put it in the right order. What is the sequence that this player needs to do in order to improve the probability of impact so they can start to play the game at a higher level. Travis, is it, is the approach any different for junior golfers? Well, I think it, it, it is to some degree. I think, um, you know, again, I think there's different um, levels there. When you say junior, it's a very wide range. A junior golfer could be six years old. A junior golfer could be 15 years old. And that's, you know, that's two very different kids. Um, I think at a young age, it's more um, you, you want to get them going in the right direction uh, from a fundamental standpoint. You want to get them creating speed. You want to get them um, associating the game to um, fun experiences. Um, and then as that's introduced to them and they're and they're creating speed and they're learning how to you know, hit balls and have fun with that and, and then start to string some holes together and play the game and then put a score on a scorecard. And, you know, they start to, they start, parents always ask me, they say, you know, when, when should I start to get it more specific in, in instruction? And I always say that you'll, you'll know, like when, when you'll know when the, your kid 
um, is ready to start trying to get it to the next level from maybe a technique standpoint. And I think, you know, when they start getting into, you know, 11, 12, 13, you know, their brains are sponges, their bodies are sponges, and that they can start to take more um, specific direction of what you want them to do with their body and how more specifically you want them to turn or more specifically how you want them to take the club up the plane and down the plane. And at that point, you might start showing them more video. You might start introducing a few numbers here and there, and then that just kind of matures and escalates as they as they continue uh, to get older. So again, I think you have to really, you have to be sensitive to, um, you know, whether it's a junior golfer or an adult golfer to how this individual is going to learn and, and how much you want to share with them through that, uh, through that journey. Travis, one more before we let you go. Got to get a, yeah. a playing tip for our listeners who might be going out to the course this weekend. And I think one of the places that we could all do a better job of is when we've got, you know, a short iron in our hands, mid iron, I should say, you know, we're looking at a, you know, seven, eight, nine iron, trying to get that ball on, on the green and as close, obviously, to the hole as we can. What, what's, a, what's something we can do to do a better job of keeping our swing on plane with the shorter irons? Well, I think um, with the shorter irons, you know, most everyone that plays golf is creating enough speed to launch their shorter irons high enough to have a landing angle that's sufficient to, you know, hitting the green and stopping. As we get into the mid irons, you know, there's the, we get to that point where there's an iron that we can't launch high enough, right? Where it hits the green and just rolls over. And for a lot of people, that's a five iron, maybe a four iron um, into a three. So, with that said, when you have a nine iron in your hand or an eight iron, we're creating enough speed. And oftentimes, what I'm working on with players is to get them to flight the ball lower. I think it's a good opportunity to teach them how to hit a bit of a, a flighted lower knockdown shot, which would suggest a little more forward shaft lean um, and a, a slight deloft in the face. And I think that's a good, uh, I think that's a good component to have in the golf swing. So instead of taking your nine iron and just taking a full swing and throwing it way up in the air and trying to hit at your distance, um, you, you might take an eight, knock it down a little bit and have that three quarter flighted shot. And that's what you see a lot with your better players is they flight their short irons. They, you know, they kind of, you know, stock their mid irons and then they try to hit their long irons up in the air higher. And I think that's a, a good rule of thumb and one that applies uh, to so many. And, and, um, you know, with that said, I think when you, when you look at the shape of the swing and I'll finish with this is that, so many people listening right now, and if they watch me on Golf Channel and they read my stuff, I, I believe the most common error in amateur golf, in, as far as the shape of the swing, is that the club head gets too far inside quickly, and, and the club head gets in behind the hands right away for different reasons. But what happens is, is when the club head goes in, then they have to then they have to kind of lift it right. Then they kind of got to go up. And then inevitably their first move on the downswing is they, is they go out. So it kind of goes out and it gets steep. And then from there, they're forever trying to manufacture impact, which doesn't always suggest forward shaft lean. So I'm always 
working with players to get the club head to be a little bit more out in front of them where the club head is a little more outside the hand. And then from there, they can make a turn. They can let it kind of round out from there, and then they can bring it more down, um, you know, from the inside per se. So I think the shape of the swing um, is something that allows players, when you get them shaped properly, it allows them to flight their short irons, but it also allows them to hit the longer irons as well and into the fairway wood. So that'd be my tip for them. Travis, let our listeners know how they can follow you and see all the great tips that you have and the things that you're doing both online and over yeah. social media as well. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my website has everything there. Um, TravisFultonGolf.com, uh, TravisFultonGolf.com. You'll see kind of all the things that, uh, that I've got going on there. I'm a, a regular, usually on Golf Channel, you'll see me morning drive uh, most weeks, early in the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, breaking down the best players um, uh, in the world. And, and the final thing I would say is for those that have junior golfers, um, we have a very neat um, junior um, online platform that's really a community-based for parents and kids to learn together, and it's called Junior Golf AllAccess.com. Junior Golf AllAccess.com. It's a neat platform. Uh, it's free. Um, we just launched it about a month ago. We're, we got terrific contributors in the industry and it's a place for parents and kids to, uh, to go and interact and get good info, um, as kids navigate the game of golf. That's great stuff, Travis. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for taking time out of your morning to be a part of the show. I hope you'll come back again sometime, share more of your thoughts and insights with us because you're fantastic. All right. I appreciate that, Chris. We'll we'll do it again. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, Travis. All the best to you and your family. That's Travis Fulton. Again, TravisFultonGolf.com is the name of his website. I love that. JuniorGolfAllAccess.com. Certainly going to be checking out, you know, checking that out with my son playing junior golf at 16 years old. So great stuff there. Great stuff out of Travis. Look forward to getting him back on the show again real soon. All right, we'll get to my next guest, Mark Wiebe, on the other side of these words from our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. I want to give a shout-out to our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. For a fun, interactive experience and the best selection of golf clubs, apparel, and gear for golfers of all levels, check out our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. Whether you're a pro or a beginner, they're your one-stop golf shop for great golf deals on all your golfing needs. You can save yourself a little time by shopping and placing your order online at PGATourSuperstore.com. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGASuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. And now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Champions Tour Pro Mark Wiebe. Let me give you some uh, background on Mark. He's from Seaside, Oregon and grew up in Escondido, California. Played his college golf at Palomar Junior College and then transferred to San Jose State. While at Palomar, he was the individual medalist at the 1977 California Amateur and he won the 1977 Amateur, uh, Idaho Amateur as well. 
He turned pro in 1980 and then uh, got onto the PGA Tour in 1983. His first career, career win came at the 1985 Anheuser-Busch Classic when he beat John Mahaffey with a birdie on the first uh, playoff hole. He won again the following year at the 1986 Hardy's Classic by one shot over Kurt Byram, thanks again to a birdie on 17 during his final round and an overall final round of 68. Mark matched Bobby Watkins' record for being the youngest winner on the Champions Tour at 50 years and 10 days old when he won the SAS Championship. In 2013, he won the Senior Open Championship at Royal Brookdale, which is which is the site of this year's Open Championship. He defeated Bernhard Langer on the fifth playoff hole to capture that Senior Major Championship after a final round 66. Later that year, he captured the Pacific Links Hawaii Championship again in a playoff over Corey Pavin. In all, he's won eight times as a professional, twice on the PGA Tour, five times on the Champions Tour, as well, and as well as the 1986 Colorado Open. And I am thrilled to have him with me this morning here on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Chris. How are you, bud? Thanks for having me. So, Mark, so many things I want to get your insights and memories on, but let's start with your playoff record. When I was doing the research over your career, my goodness, you might have the greatest playoff winning percentage ever. How did how did you do so well in the, in the playoffs, and how did you handle playoff pressure so well? Well, I'll tell you, a lot of people have asked me that because they they everybody thinks the playoff is a nerve-wracking experience when, in actuality, the nerve-wracking experience was getting to the playoff. So uh, once you're in the playoff, you're you're either going to win or you're going to finish second. So it's not terrible to lose, uh, although we don't ever think of that. But uh, you know, once you're there, you're you're playing for the for the hardware, for the trophy, for the you know the prestige as far as the Senior Open is concerned. And uh, you know, you just it's you and another person, or maybe you know more than two people in the playoff. But like I said. Uh, it's not like you either win or you finish 20th. You're going to win or you're going to you, – you've already won because you have the lowest score of the tournament. Um, even if you're tied, you have the lowest score of the tournament. Now you just have to uh, polish it off. So I, I think, you know, as a kid, you're always wanting to, you know, act. What what would you do if you were in a playoff with so-and-so and how would you handle it? And you just kind of – you know, you've worked so hard to get to that playoff. You think, well, I got a little more work to do, and all I can do is what I can do. So we'll see where the chips fall. And, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate, uh, especially in that senior open, because nobody beats Bernard Langer. He's, uh, Bernie is some kind of golfer. So, uh, that's, uh, that's the way I thought of it. I just never, I, I never thought of it being as difficult as it sounds, uh, because, you're right there. You're playing for all the chips. So, yeah, Mark, to to that end, right, as I was, you know, kind of looking through, you know, the wins that you had, and like I mentioned in your intro, your first win on tour was at the Anheuser-Busch Classic. And, and you know, we talk about, you know, a lot about the mental side of the game on this show. And and you came to the 72nd hole of that tournament with a one-stroke lead, but you, you bogeyed 18, which forced the playoff. But then you were able to put that behind you and go out and birdie the first playoff hole to win. So, you know, to, to the point you made a moment ago, are you thinking in your mind, hey, no big deal, the worst thing I'm going to do is finish second here? Or how do you put a bogey on the last hole behind you in order to, you know, and then you got to sign your card and do all that sort of stuff. Now you got to go out to the playoff uh-huh. hole 
and now you got to birdie right. that. How do you put all of that in perspective or behind you and go out and focus and birdie the first hole to win? Well, I think it. You know, uh, this might sound kind of funny, but I think there are bogeys that are better than other bogeys. And uh, as far as that eight, the last hole of the tournament, the 72nd hole, uh, what happened to me was I was pumped. I was young, and uh, it was my third, if you, my third year on the tour, um, and I hit my drive too far. Uh, it's a dogleg left. And where I had been hitting my shot off the tee, uh, all of a sudden I'd hit it 25 yards further. Where instead of being in the middle of the fairway, even in the right side of the fairway, I just hit it through the dog leg. And I'm in a weird lie with the ball way below my feet. And I'm hitting a seven iron to an uphill green. Uh, and I had a tough shot. And I, to hit the green was great, but it ended up, taking a couple of the mounds on the green took me away from the, the hole. And so I ended up having a super long putt with a whole bunch of break up and over a hill, uh, you know, with pressure on you and your first win, that's a, it's a tough putt. And, uh, I ended up leaving it probably 15 feet short. The putt was probably 50 feet at, uh, about. And, I left it about probably 15 feet short, and then I I hit a great putt to win the tournament, and it went right over the edge. So I really didn't do anything wrong on the last hole in my mind. So in finishing up and making the bogey, I was in a playoff, but I had nothing. I never felt bad about it. I just felt like, wow, I hit my drive too far. I had a pretty good second shot that ended up going further from the hole, but I did hit the green, and then I had a super hard putt. And I, the first one maybe wasn't so good, but the second putt I had was, uh, was positive. It was a great stroke. It went over the edge. So I, I'm, I'm kind of going, I'm leaving that round with confidence and I'm going into the playoffs thinking, you know, I'm playing as good as anybody. And, and I, you know, it was my tournament. And so I'm just going to go do what I've been doing. And, you know, it, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm making it sound easier than it is. I think that you, you kind of have to be there and your mindset and and how you finish and what shots you're hitting and how much trust you have in your game and all of that stuff uh, plays such a big role in your attitude in a playoff or you know extra innings or whatever you you've kind of you're game ready uh, you know you nobody beats you and uh, like I said that that bogey although it was a bogey and it cost me going into a playoff I didn't really do it. I didn't feel like I did anything wrong. I didn't hit any shots that were that were bad that that would lead me down the wrong, the negative side in your brain going into the playoff. I was pretty positive going into the playoff, and uh, and it showed. Although I will tell you, in the playoff, I skied my drive, and now I'm nervous because it's my first playoff. I have a chance to win my first tournament on the tour, and my wife and I are young kids out there, uh, golf age anyway. And, uh, you know, I ended up having where I hit eight iron in regulation. I hit a four iron into the green because I skied my drive, although it was in the fairway. It was pretty far back, and I, I kind of hit it pretty close. I think I was 12 or 15 feet above the cup, and I thought, oh, well, I can make this. I was putting pretty well, and I thought, I can make this, and we'll see what John does. And, uh, you know, John hit a, I think he chipped it from off the green, and, and tapped in, and I had a putt to win it. I thought, here we go. 
So, Mark, when when you won at the Hardy's Classic, you beat Kurt Byram, and I and I read the two of you were good friends, and that that tournament was really match play in the final round between the two of you. And Kurt was battling at the time to stay on tour. He was playing on a spo- uh, sponsor's exemption because he had lost his tour card. And like you, he had you know he had been through you know tour school, and I want to talk about that in a minute. But he he went through tour school eight times. He had a two-stroke lead going into the final round. So I imagine there were a lot of emotional things going through both of your minds as you guys were finishing up that tournament. How were you able to stay focused there on what you needed to do and win that golf tournament? Well, that, excuse me, that was a classic case for me of just going out and, and letting the chips fall. I never, uh, my whole, I, I remember that like it was yesterday. I thought, you know, Kurt's a good guy. Uh, he's a friend of mine. We've been through the war together. We've been to tour schools, uh, countless times. And, uh, I just thought, look, if it's my time to win again, then it's my time. But all I can do is play. I felt very at peace. And I thought, just play, just play golf. You're playing good. And it's funny because we went right out and Kurt, I, I believe on Sunday, bogeyed number one and I birdied. And then I think number two, I may have birdied number two, too, so all of a sudden I have a lead. And it happened so fast that I thought, well, you know, there's still 16 holes left, so let's just plot your way along and do your thing and hit the ball like you've been hitting it. And and I really did probably in, in my whole life that tournament. I just let the chips fall. I never really thought about, boy, I really want to win or I want to beat somebody or uh, anything other than, I'm just going to play hard and I'm going to see what happens. And, uh, and that's, that's all I did, you know, and I think it was just kind of, I just kind of got maybe a little luckier than Kurt did, uh, throughout the round because it ebbed and flowed back and forth so much that Kurt was leading by two. I may have been leading by two sometime in the last round and he got the lead back and was leading late. And it, we, I, you know, we didn't know because we didn't have the leaderboards they have now. You kind of have a couple leaderboards around the golf course, but it just felt like it was either Kurt or me that was going to win. Now, somebody could have been playing, you know, in a group or two in front of us and been winning, and we wouldn't even have known, I don't I don't think. So it, it did feel like a match play tournament, and it was just, you know, the ball's going to fall for one guy, and it's not going to fall for the other, and I think that day it just fell for me. Mark, as I mentioned, you know, you went through Q School a number of times, and I've talked to, you know, several of your peers on this show who have talked about the pressure of Q School being actually way more pressure than anything they faced out on tour. Was it that way for you? Without a doubt. That is, uh, I will tell you, it. when I first started going to tour school, hard to explain, but there were two a year. So there was a fall tour school, and then there was a spring tour school. And I don't even – it's hard to even figure out how that even worked, but it did. Uh, and it took me six tour schools. I believe I made it on my sixth one. The agonizing part of my journey was I made it through the first stage, the second stage, into the finals, into the final round, every single tour school I played – and I missed five or six in a row, being all the way to the end. For, you know, it took me three and a half years. Like I said, there were two a year. So six tour schools, I believe, uh, until I made it. And I was teased for 
six times. You know, I was in the final round doing my thing, and either I missed it by a lot, missed it by a little. All I know is I missed it. And the funny thing was when I finally made my uh, tour school, uh, it was maybe one of the one of the worst hitting times I had ever gone into a tour school. I really didn't, was not hitting the ball like I had in the past, although I had been hitting it great in the past, going into tour school and never made it. So I kind of thought, well, this is funny. This is the worst I've ever been playing going into tour school. And <laughs> I didn't make it when I was playing great. Maybe I'll make it when I'm when I'm not playing great. And I ended up making it. Uh, the tour school I'm remembering is I just figured out a way to slice the ball. So I aimed left and sliced it. And I'm, I'm a pretty good putter. And I putted pretty good. I think I finished fourth. And all of a sudden it was over. And then I, I ended up getting my wife and I got married two weeks, two and a half weeks after tour school. Uh, so whether, whether I made it or not, we were getting married. And here I am. I'm getting married. I'm playing horrible and I'm going to tour school and I'm thinking, boy, talk about pressure. Uh, this is, yeah. this is it. This, this is as much as I can handle. Uh, and you know, again, you work so hard that it's 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 as hard to do, and that is let the chips fall. You know, you've done all your prep work. You've got yourself ready. You're mental. It's all mental. Uh, so you've got yourself mentally as good as you can get, and then you go out and you just have to execute and trust that what you've worked on and what you know and what you're doing is the right thing for you and and you just got to get out of the way and go play. Now, listen, that sounds super easy. And as I'm talking and, and saying this, I'm thinking, wow, that's easier said than done because it is, it's a <laughs> tough go. This tour school, I watched so many guys that were so much better golfers than I was, so much better in my eyes that never made it through tour school. So it's a, it's a cruel test. Uh, but if you make it, you, you, uh, it's the greatest feeling in the world too. Mark, just a couple more before we let you go, but we've got the, the U.S. Senior Open going on this week up at Salem Country Club. Why aren't you in the field this week? I thought I saw your name amongst the guys that were going to be playing. Well, uh, I was, I'm, I'm exempt actually through next year too and all the majors, I've got, I have a, a neck, uh, injury, uh, that hard to explain, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm going through this time in my life and it, I think that might be it for me as far as tournament golf. Uh, I have stenosis and it, I, I get these nerve impingements that lead into numbing in my fingers and burning and a lot of nerve issues that, uh, actually just played with my a buddy of mine that's a radiologist the other day and uh, we're talking about getting injections to see if it's uh, if we can get this solved and if not it looks like he said uh, probably going to have to have surgery on my neck and get just for my quality of life not to not to really play anymore on the tour but just so I can play golf with my wife or my kids or my grandkids actually so uh I'm, I've had to withdraw. I think I'm leaving. I told the, somebody from the tour called the other day and 
I said, I think I'm leading this year in withdrawals. And uh, I've withdrawn from so many tournaments, and I keep trying to play, and I, I just can't. You know, there's times that last year was the culmination of it at Scioto and the Senior Open. I loved the golf course. Felt great. You know, in the middle of the second round, all of a sudden, I can't hold on to the club. And, you know, sometimes there's pain involved. Sometimes it's just a kink in my neck. But my the certain vertebrae that are being affected shoot signals nerve-wise down to my left three fingers in my hand, and it becomes impossible for me to play golf. Wow. I'm so, sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I hate saying it, but uh, it's also – the way it is. So I actually, I always knew that when I was done playing, I was going to teach. And all that did was move up my, my timeline of teaching. And I've got my website now and I'm teaching and uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I wish I was playing still, but I love sharing uh, all that I've learned. I mean, I'm almost 60, so you can imagine uh, I've learned quite a bit, and I've played with some great players over the years. And uh, you know, I'm, I've watched great players, and I've I've lost to great players. I've beat great players, and you know, I feel like I have a lot to share. And I'm I'm a very natural kind of guy. You know, I grew up watching Miller Barber and Jack Nicklaus with his flying elbow, and Raymond Floyd with his inside takeaway, and Nancy Lopez, and all of these different swings that all were pretty good players. So I'm uh, I'm definitely focusing my time on teaching and sharing and uh, being involved with golf that way. So, so to that end, before we let you go, Mark, let our listeners know how can they how can they find you online? How can they follow you on social media and uh, and take take a look at you know the things you're doing now as an instructor? Well, uh, my website is pretty simple as long as you get your vowels straight. It's markweebygolf.com. And that's, you know, it's W-I-E-B-E, markweebydolphgut.com. And uh, and then I have all my Twitters and I have a Twitter account. uh, And uh, email is mweeby at pgatour.com. And anybody that wants to book lessons or playing lessons or strategy lessons, uh, you know, I feel like I can add uh, so much more than the physical aspect to the game. I can kind of. Uh, take people through and uh, the mental side and um, you know what makes you know when when you have when you have two people that are equally as good talent wise how can one guy beat the other and it's it's 100% mental so uh, I'm really focusing on that and trying to uh, trying to uh, teach and and like I said teach and share and uh, and and hopefully that it, uh, people like it. Well, Mark, there's so many more things I wanted to get your thoughts and insights on. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon because I'd love to catch up with you. You've been fantastic. I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show today. Well, Chris, you're so nice. I'd I'd love to come back and talk to you about philosophies or teaching or or what have you. But I I sure appreciate you having me on, and uh, it's, it's been great. Uh, thank you, Mark. I look forward to catching up with you, like I say, hopefully real soon. So many more things I want to talk to you about. So thank you for your time this morning. All the best to you. I hope hope the neck turns out okay, and all the best to you and your family. Thanks, Chris, so much, buddy. Good talking to you. Right. Thanks, Mark. 
That's Mark Wiebe, and again, his site is markwiebe.com. Again, he spells his last name W-I-E-B-E, so markwiebe.com. So many great things. Really wanted to get into the Senior Open Championship because that ended in a playoff and extended into Monday for that playoff because of darkness. Wanted to talk about that, but looking forward to getting Mark's thoughts on the philosophy of the golf swing and you know getting his you know tips and how we can play better. So look forward to getting Mark back on the show again. We'll do that real soon. I'll be reaching back out to him really soon to get him here. I've got my next guest, Terry Kaler, hanging on the line. I want to get to Terry, and we'll do so on the other side of this word about our friends up at the Salt Creek golf retreat if you're looking for a great place for your annual golf outing a weekend golf getaway or just a round of golf with your buddies then salt creek golf retreat is just what you're looking for centrally located in nashville indiana just south of indianapolis and west of cincinnati this challenging but fair 18-hole golf course appeals to all skill levels, and its scenic views of rolling hills and tree-lined fairways are sure to make golfing memories for years to come. It's owned and operated by former Purdue and New York Giant fullback Randy Manier. Salt Creek Golf Retreat offers stay-and-play packages that include golf and fully furnished one- or two-bedroom condos. After your round, be sure to stop by the 19th Hole Sports Bar and Restaurant for great food, fun, and drinks. Randy and his staff will treat you like family. For more information, log on to saltcreekgolf.com. That's saltcreekgolf.com. Or give them a call at 812-558-5944. 812-558-5944. And start making memories today. Yeah, Randy and his family and the staff are outstanding, as are the golf course, the 19th hole sports bar, and their on-site condos as well. Go online to saltcreekgolf.com to see for yourself what a great place that it is. And I also want to remind you about our friends at Orange Whip, makers of the Orange Whip Trainer. Folks, if you haven't checked out the Orange Whip and you're looking for a great way to loosen up before you round or improve your club head speed, then you need to check out the Orange Whip. Folks, there isn't a better way to get prepared for your round of golf than by swinging the Orange Whip. My father's 73 years old. He plays five days a week. He's using the Orange Whip to loosen up before his rounds. It's helping me get loose before my rounds as well as all, and also improving my club head speed. Take a look at what a great training aid that it is. And folks, I, I wouldn't tell you that if I wasn't using it myself. Go online to see for yourself at orangewhiptrainer.com. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Terry Kaler. Terry Kaler, let me remind you about Terry's background. He is from Cuero, Texas, which is a small town in southeast, of, you know, southeast of uh, San Antonio, down in Texas. The city is known for being the turkey capital of the world. Terry graduated with his degree in marketing from Texas A&M. He was the founder and president of Ray Cook Golf back in 1995. 2011, he became the founder and president of Score Golf, which produced some of the most innovative wedges, you know, that you could have found on the market at that time with their V-Soul web design that came that came from Terry. In 2014, he revitalized the Ben Hogan Golf brand and became the president and CEO of that company. He's got over a half dozen golf club patents, nearly a hundred iron wedge and putter designs to his credit and uh, he is uh, back online now with his blog you can read it at thewedgeguy.com and i am thrilled that he is back with me again this morning here on next on the t hey terry thanks for coming back on the show no thanks for having me it's always a pleasure 
So, Terry, like I mentioned a moment ago, I'm excited to see that you got your blog back up and running, thewedgeguide.com. And so, you know, let our listeners know, when they go on your site, what are they going to find? Well, it's going to be a combination of, of several things. Um, I'm back to writing at least once a week on uh, just topics that either people are asking me about or that I'm noticing, uh, you know, my take on on the industry and the game after a, a lifetime in golf and, and nearly 40 years in the golf club industry. Uh, you can imagine I got a lot of experiences and observations and insight to share. Uh, I'll be occasionally republishing articles from my first run as the wedge guy, which over a uh, five to, I guess it was a seven year period. I wrote, uh, over 700 articles, some of which really were controversial, some which stimulated a lot of interest. And so I'll be uh, publishing. There's a place called the Blast from the Past, which are best of the wedge guy from uh, dating all the way back to the early 2000s. Uh, there's a little thing I have fun with called the Texas Wedge Hog rooting out the truth. And sometimes I like to get out on the edge and just pontificate about things that bug me. Uh, about this game and, and, uh, so that's my kind of editorial page, uh, the Texas Wedge Hog. So I kind of do a no holes barred and throw political correctness to the wind and, and say what's on my mind that, and, and I talk about things I think will help golfers gain a perspective on, you know, this crazy game and this crazy industry we deal in. So it's a lot of fun. So, you know, Terry, your recent post talks about how the majority of us are playing a golf course harder than what the tour pros are playing, which is an interesting concept. Talk about how that's the case. You know, we watch the tour pros, and I go back again. I'm 65 years old. I spent a lifetime in this game. I don't remember life before golf. And when I first started really paying attention to tournament golf in, in the 60s and 70s, and, and you know, we'd see the Tom Watsons and the Miller Barbers and Johnny Millers and and these guys out there and, and, you know, I'm a, at the time, a 165 yard five iron player and these guys are 175, 180 yard five iron players. And, you know, I hit the drive 230 and they hit it 250 and, and you could relate to what these guys were doing. But with the evolution of the modern game and the, the, the tremendous emphasis on power and these guys are big season trained athletes now. They've got all this equipment and the gap between the tour player and, and the recreational golfer is wider than it's ever been. I don't see it doing anything but getting bigger than that. And so, you know, if, if you've got a five iron in your hand at 165 and, and the tour player hits it from 180, you can relate to that. But when you've got a five iron in your hand at 165 and the tour player is hitting an eight or nine iron from there, that's just such a totally different game. And these guys are playing golf courses that there are essentially no par fives left. I mean, they're hitting middle irons to par fives. Very rarely do they have to hit hybrid or even a, a par five or, or much less lay up if they have a decent drive. And most of us, we can't get the par fives in two shots. Um, for most of us, you know, the, the typical recreational golfer is a 12 to 15, 18 handicap. He's 45 years older or older. You know, he's got par fours he can't reach in two. And, you know, they just play to, to make them hit the same club into a green that we hit into a green. They'd have to play 9,000 yard golf courses. And so, you know, to me, and I mean, the PGA tour, you can love it or hate it, whatever you want. You can look at it for entertainment, whatever you want, but you know, you're not going to go play a pickup basketball game with, you know, the golden state warriors. And, you know, the game you play on the golf course is a remotely different game than what they're playing. And, the courses are longer to try to be quote championship. The greens are shaved down 10, 11, 12 for even for us regular guys that don't practice every day. 
And I think this is one of the problems in our game. It's it's become so hard for the recreational golfer because the courses are too long and the greens are too fast and the, the course setups are too tough around the greens, you know, for people trying to get this, quote, championship nature to it. And I think that's one of the – I'm going to go off on my Texas wedge hog here, but that's, I think, one of the problems <laughs> with our game is it's too darn hard for the recreational player because of what we're doing to golf courses. I'll take a breather. <laughs> so Terry, in in your June twenty first post, you mentioned that you know in your next wedge designs, we'll see you continue you know your efforts to help all of us achieve better distance accuracy and consistency. How can we do that? What what are some of the things that we can do to get better you know consistent distance in our wedges? Well. I mean, this is kind of taken on the industry, but I believe wedge design is not really helping the average golfer. Wedges are very finicky in distance control. We did a lot of testing on wedges, and we found that from impact up, and we miss our wedge shots typically up and down the face. You know, you catch that shot high in the face, and you know it's coming up short. You can feel it. Well, if you look at your wedge, two-thirds of the face, there's nothing behind the golf ball. There's no meat back there. All the meat is in the very sole of the golf club. So, you know, golfers have this tremendous distance consistency problem, and it stems from partially from where they make impact on the golf club. And the tour player makes impact with wedges down on the very bottom three grooves. I mean, that's where you look at the wear pattern, and these guys wear their wedges out in the very bottom of the golf club. And they play very tight cut fairways, and they practice incessantly to make that kind of contact so they can get consistent distance. The rest of us are playing fairways are probably fluffed up a little bit more. We're catching them all higher in the face. And, and our, our environment testing showed that you can have as much as 80 or 90 feet difference on a wedge shot off of an iron barn between the third groove and let's say the, you know, two thirds of the way up the face. Well, unless you're hitting it on the same groove every time, which none of us do, you're not going to get a consistent smash factor or transfer of energy. And then we also, there's a shaft issue. I can take a breather again, but there's so many issues. <laughs> if you look at wedges, they haven't really changed in 40, 50, 60 years. All the weights on the bottom, very thin upper portion. And the reason the pros practice hours and hours a day with those golf clubs, they have to practice hours and hours a day to be as good as they are with them. My goal is to design a wedge that doesn't demand that, that much of you as a golfer. Because you're a weekend golfer, you're going to go hit a bag of balls and go to the first tee. If you hit the balls at all, you don't have time to go out there and practice your wedge game five, six, eight hours a week. So, you know, Terry, to to take that a step further, right? You know, you, you, we 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 struggle with you know distance control with our wedges. You know, we also you know so much of the game. We talk about this all the time, and you're you're the perfect person, you know, to you know to talk about this. But you know, we talk an awful lot about short game you know, here on, on this show, right? Because, you know, the majority of games played from 100 yards in. You know, a lot of it, you know, for us, you know, for us weekend hackers, right, it's really played a lot, you know, in and around the green, you know, 20, 30 yards in. And, you know, these short, you know, you know whether we're doing a bump and run or, you know, we've got something, you know, right around the greens, you know, sometimes we've got to use our sandwich, you know, if we've got an elevated green, that sort of thing. How can we do a better job of getting the ball closer to the hole 
when, you know, to your point, we're not out practicing these shots every day like the pros are, but what is a better way for us to get, you know, consistently closer to the hole on these short shots in and around the green? Well, unfortunately, Chris, you really nailed it. That is about practice, and we don't practice our short game. We don't practice all those shots. You know, one of my, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Ben Hogan. I've been a fan of Mr. Hogan since I was a little kid. And one of my favorite stories about him was he was playing with a group at Shady Oaks, and this story was related to me by somebody that was in the group. And he's playing with the group at Shady Oaks, and his partner's in the cart, and it, it hit a drive over kind of under the trees, and they drove up there, and Mr. Hogan said, what are you going to do with this? And he said, well, Ben, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit a low knockdown shot with a foreign or whatever it was and try to roll it up on the green. And Mr. Hogan said, have you practiced that shot? And the guy said, well, no. And he said, well, then get in the cart. <laughs> you know. And, and Ben Hogan's theory was you don't, you don't try to hit a shot on the golf course that you haven't practiced. And so I ask your listeners, you know, when you're around the green and you picture a little bump and run or a little soft pitch, when was the last time you actually hit one of those in practice? And, and do you know that shot? And I think that most of us, our long game, our full swing, it is what it is unless we're going to go engage in a lot of lessons. And your tee to green performance probably doesn't change that much from one round to another this month to next month, this year to next year, again, unless you've engaged a professional to try to rebuild. But what you can do on the range and around your putting green and, you know, anywhere, you can practice hitting little pitch shots and, and little bump and run chip shots just to get the feel of how to make that ball do what you want it to do so that when you're on the golf course, you've got something very familiar. And one of my little tricks that I always would do before I went to first tee, and, and I'm not playing much anymore, but um, but I still do it. After I hit a few balls to warm up, I hit a little little soft pitch of 10 yards and another one of 20, and then I hit a little knockdown kind of a bump and run chip of, of 5 yards and 10 yards and 15. I hit 8 or 10 short shots that I think I'm going to have on the golf course so that I have some very fresh memory of, of that shot. And, you know, the average guy goes to the, the golf course and, you know, he hits his approach shot on the first hole. He misses the green left. He hadn't hit a chip shot since a week or two weeks ago on the last green that he missed. And yet he was just on the range with a bag of balls and hit some drives and some five irons and some nine irons and all of those shots, but he did not hit that first shot he's going to really rely on. He'll go to the putting green, hit a few putts before he tees off, but he won't hit that little crucial scoring shot just to refresh your muscle memory. And that maybe is the best thing that the recreational golfer could do. But once a week or, or however often you can, Take a bag of balls and, and your pitching wedge and your sand wedge and go out to the range and just chip those balls up and down the range and, 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 you know, hit little short shots to refresh yourself on what they feel like and the kind of swing that makes the ball fly 10 yards and 20 yards. And you don't have to practice it even on the chipping green. You just practice watching ball flight. Terry, just a couple more before we let you go, but you know, how, how do we decide? You know, between whether I need to hit a pitching wedge here and let it, you know, release and run versus I need to hit a sand wedge and, uh, and, and, and knock it closer to the hole. What, what I see a lot of, you know, my buddies do, right? Some of them use a sand wedge on every pitching shot, whether, you know, anywhere around the green. 
Some of them will, will vary between the two. Some of them it's confusing about why I selected a sand wedge versus a pitching wedge. Talk about a good way to understand, you know, shot shaping when I'm doing a little pitch. Well, I think there's two, two schools of thought on this, Chris. One school of thought is pick your favorite wedge and learn how to do all the different shots with that wedge. That's good if you're going to take that time to learn how to do all the different shots with that wedge. Me, for the recreational golfer, I think a better approach is learn one good little, you know, short game pitching, chipping stroke, if you will, mini swing, and then take that same swing with your highest lofted wedge, your your gap lofted wedge, your pitching wedge, even down your nine and eight iron, and watch what kind of ball flight that same little swing delivers with different golf clubs. Now I've got one swing to learn, and I can use my clubs to get the different results. So that same little swing produces a little high soft shot with my 58 wedge, for example, but with my nine iron at 41 or 40 degrees, that same swing is going to produce a shot that, that flies a little lower with less spin and runs out a little more. And to me, one swing lets you take advantage of this toolbox you have that you spent money on, that you have all these weapons in that golf bag. And that one swing, that one stroke, you can vary the length of it, but you don't vary how far back the ball is, how far forward it is, or how far away from it, and, and your hand manipulation. I mean, this game is hard enough trying to learn one little short game swing without trying to, to learn it. And, and granted, it's a lot of fun to me to go out and, and try to hit little knockdowns with the sand wedge and little flop shots with the nine iron, but that's just playing to me. When you're on the golf course, there's only one thing that matters, and that's getting whether you're playing for a big match or whether you're playing for fun with your buddies and nothing on the line, you still have a desire to make the best score you can on every hole. And so you go with what's familiar, and it's a lot easier to get familiar with one short game swing than it is with a bunch of different ones. So, Terry, let our listeners know, let our listeners know what's next for you. I don't know for sure. Um, if the weather's good, I'm going to fish tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the... Um, uh, we got a big fireworks extravaganza down here on the coast tonight. It's going to be fun. But, you know, I'm, I'm working on some new wedge designs, and and I don't know if I'm going to uh, – where I'm going to go with them yet. Uh, they'll probably be ready to, to talk to some other people, whether I get involved with another company or do something on my own. I've had people reaching out to me on that. And I'm not in a big hurry. I want to make sure these are the best I've ever done, which is always the goal. Uh, I think that they're going to be – a giant step forward from anything I've done. And we've done some awfully, I'm very proud of we've done some awfully good wedges. And right now I'm having fun writing the blog and, and I want to invite your, your listeners to, to go to the blog, the com, and look at some of the stuff. There's a place to sign up. And, uh, if, uh, what I'd like to do is to invite all your listeners to go sign up to get notified when I post a new blog. And there's going to be a special little announcement of a, of a special gift for one of the new subscribers that I'll announce on Wednesday in a blog post. But uh, I'm trying to get people to to sign up and follow and and uh, and share their ideas with me. It always gives uh, my favorite way to get material to write about is when people ask me questions on the blog. So uh, if you sign up, you can post your questions, send them to me via email, and like I say, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little special little prize out of my archives uh, of club collection. Uh, that I'll give away Wednesday uh, to to the people that sign up. I'll be drawing their name on Wednesday. So all your listeners, go sign up on thewedgeguy.com. There you go. Great stuff as always, Terry. Thank you, so, 
<laughs> that's okay. That's what I'm looking for. So I appreciate you doing that, Terry, and I appreciate your time today. It's always great stuff, and it's always a great time getting to spend, you know, a, a little bit of time with you. So look forward to having you back on the show, hopefully again real soon. In between now and then, Terry, all the best to you and your family, my friend. And the same to you and your listeners. And, uh, you know, remember Tuesdays, happy birthday to this amazing country we live in. And I uh, hope everybody will just stop and have a little quiet moment to think how blessed we all are to uh, – to have been born in or to have found our way to the United States. I, I used to have a, a t-shirt that says I'm not from Texas, but I got here as fast as I could. And, you know, I think we should all feel that way about our country. That's a good message. Thank you for sharing that, Terry. Take care. We'll catch up soon, my friend. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. That's Terry Kaler. And again, he spells his last name K O E H L E R. His site is thewedgeguy.com. Fantastic blog. And, and even when you go back and you look at the, you know, the Texas Wedgehog stuff that he had, uh, previously, you read through that. It's all fantastic stuff. So I highly encourage you take a look at, you know, take a look at his site, read his blog, get online and get signed up for that. Cause whatever Terry's got in his club, cl- club collection, it's got to be outstanding. So I look forward to hearing more about that and seeing you know exactly what he gives away because I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. All right, before I get to my next guest, Debbie O'Connell, I want to remind you about our friends over at SyncIt.com. You know how we like to keep things on the positive side here on Next on the T and have a positive approach both in life and out on the golf course. Well, we're excited to be partnering with the folks over at SyncIt.com. Keep putting that positive thought of sinking the putt in your mind with their great line of T-shirts and hats. To win any tournament, you got to sink the final putt, right? We wake up every day, want to finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, get, get better each and every day. Have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams with unwavering passion, and you're going to sink it in life. Check them out online at sinkit.com. I also want to give a shout-out to our new friends over at Par Bar. Energy and focus on the golf course, it's, it's essential whether you're playing, you know, around, you know, whether it's with your buddies, you're playing in the club championship, or even for the guys out on tour for that matter. Par Bar is a golfer's nutrition bar specifically made for golfers that are going to help you with both energy and focus. Eat some before, you know, you get out on the first tee. Eat the rest, you know, every three holes or so until it's gone and you're going to, you know, play with energy and focus throughout, you know, throughout your round. Parbar was developed by a lifelong golfer and a food scientist to help all golfers play their best. Go online to parbargolf.com uh, and order yours today. You're going to be so glad that you did. I used mine when I was out playing with my buddies at our annual golf tournament, and uh, I'll tell you what, I certainly felt a lot better and felt, you know, energized, and, you know, you know how it is when you're playing golf, right? You sort of, so yeah, at the last few holes of your round, you start to lose a little bit of focus. Didn't happen to me, and... uh I got the trophy sitting right here in front of me. Anyway, friends, take it out again, parbargolf.com. We'll get to my next guest, Debbie O'Connell, on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on great sites like TuneIn and Podbean. Now, back to you, Chris. And now back with me in making her eighth appearance on the French Lick Resort guest line is by far not 
only one of my favorite guests, but also one of my favorite individuals on the planet, and that's Debbie O'Connell. Let me remind you quickly about Debbie's background. She is an LPGA Class A teaching and club professional. In 2002, she was named the LPGA National Professional of the Year and the LPGA Southeast Section Professional of the Year as well. In 2004, her, her high school alma mater, Ridgeway High up in New Jersey, inducted her into their Athletic Hall of Fame. In 2008 and 2009, she was named a Top 50 Instructor by the LPGA 2010 and again in 2012 she was recognized by Golf Digest as one of the top 50 female teachers in America 2007 she won the inaugural Nancy Lopez Golf Achievement Award which is given annually to the person who emulates the qualities valued by Nancy and those are leadership passion giving and approachability 2016, she was named the Northeast Section Teacher of the Year. Golf Digest has named her one of the 50 best women teachers in America, and the LPGA has also named her one of the 50 best teachers. She is also a media professional. She has been featured in Ladies Link 4 Magazine and on LPGA.com. She hosted her own show, the Debbie O'Connell Radio Show, for a decade, and the Par for the Course TV show as well. She is the founder of Golf Positive, which offers multimedia golf tips and articles to enhance both your golf game and your life. She's got a new book out titled Golf Positive, Live Positive, Lessons in Golf and Life. And like I say every time, you know, I have the privilege of having Debbie on as a, as a guest with me here on the show. My cheeks always hurt because she makes me smile so much during the course of her segment, and I'm glad she is back with me again this morning on Next on the Tee. Hey, Debbie, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, I can't thank you enough, and thank you for that amazing introduction. I appreciate it so much, and I've got a big smile on my face, and I hope to put it on not only yours, but everybody's listening today. I appreciate that. So, Debbie, let's let's you know jump right in. Let's talk about your new book, Golf Positive, Live Positive: Lessons in Golf and Life. Why did uh, talk about what you know inspired you to go ahead and make that into a book? Part of the reason, Chris, was that I have been a student of success strategies, life skills, personal development since I was a teenager. I've always been intrigued by it, taken classes, gone to seminars. I majored in psychology and continued for the last 30 years in in learning and studying and getting books. I and, and I'm continuing on now. I think in my car I'm getting a PhD in personal skills and success strategies and development. And I just love that part so much. And I use it often on the golf course and in my lessons. And then the other part was after all these years of teaching, uh, you know, you get to know people, right? You're I'm a student of the golf swing and, and golf strategies as well. And I thought, you know, it's time to to put this together and share it with others because the part about the living positive and enjoying golf, I live it. I really, I wake up with passion and energy every day. I'm achieving goals. And I thought, let me share that with others because I would love nothing more than to see even more people out there living the life of their dreams, reaching their full potential, shooting their lowest scores on the golf course, but then in life, reaching their goals and having happy, productive, successful days every day. And I thought, let me work on this. And the, the other part is I do a lot of keynote speaking. I'm doing corporate golf outings. I'm doing just motivational, inspirational keynote speaking. And what I found in that arena was you get more gigs if you're an author. 
And I feel like the message I want to share is so important and I see it affecting people's lives and making some lives even better and transformational. I mean, it's just taking everything to another level. And I thought, you know, the more people I can reach, the more happiness there'll be in the world. And, uh, and that's, that's a big vision of mine and a big goal. So I thought that the, the, the book is a way to do that. And, and Debbie, you know, we, you and I have talked an awful lot about having a positive mindset and, you know, looking through life, looking at life, you know, through a positive lens. And when I was reading through your book early on, you talk about how after a poor golf shot, you know, we, we tend to ask ourselves things like, you know, why am I still so bad after all these years? Instead of, you know, kind of flipping, the, you know, flipping the script, if you will, and saying things like, how can I refocus to hit a better shot next time? Talk about how important it is to give ourselves positive self-talk. You know, the thing about being positive, Chris, is not that you won't have things happen in life or poor golf shots on the golf course. You know, it's part of what happens every day in life. You know, there are challenges, but with a positive outlook and good quality questions, you'll get through those tough times much easier and maybe they won't affect you as deeply as it would if you take it on and then dig yourself a deeper hole by asking the why can't I type questions. Your brain listens to you. And if you ask it, how can I do better? Or what do I need to do to improve? Or how can I achieve that goal? Who do I need to talk to? It it changes the whole mindset and your brain is answering that question. Now you're opened up to find the resources to achieve the golf game you want and the life you want. So pay, pay attention to your own dialogue and especially the questions you ask yourself and where your focus is going. If you focus on what's possible as opposed to why can I, you'll actually get there a lot quicker and get through any obstacles much, much more quickly. I mean, many times on my lesson tee, it's really funny. I'll have someone come up to me and say, uh, you know, I just, I can't hit my seven iron or I, you know, my driver is just awful. I can't hit it at all. And I said, so you mean to say that you want to learn to hit your seven iron better or you want to hit your, your driver longer and straighter. Is that what you're explaining to me that your goal is? And they go, Oh, is that that golf positive stuff? I said, yes, <laughs> it is, but that's a key. Listen to what you're saying. And Debbie, I watched your bonus gift from the book, the webinar that you did yesterday. And, and one of the things you talked about is body language and your power pose. You mentioned a study that was done that showed how a positive pose can raise our testosterone, lower our cortisol. Do you mind sharing that story? Oh, I love that story. I share it in all of my keynote speeches for Fortune 500 companies, and I, I get the CEOs of the company standing in their power pose. I call it my personal Wonder Woman pose. But what happened was at Harvard Business College, they wanted to do a study about body language. And we all we all really know about body language as far as your body reacts to how you are feeling emotionally. So if you're feeling down and sad, your head's going to look down, your shoulders were slump, you'll sit and in a really sad way or looking down. If you're feeling confident, your chin will be up, your shoulders will be back, your chest will be out. You'll stand in, in a very solid stance like a superhero. And that's where the term power pose came up. What the study was, was 
they they tested hormones and put half the group in a power pose for two minutes, and they tested the hormones before and after. They put the other half the group in low power poses, arms crossed, head down, sitting, and being really small, and then think of being big and confident for the power pose. And what they found was testosterone went up by 20% in two minutes when you were in the power pose. And cortisol, which is that stress hormone, which so many of us are busy today, right? And and we're working so hard, we have a lot going on, and we feel stress coming on, or we get nervous about something coming up. Like before this show, I didn't feel nervous, but I wanted to be at my best. And so I was power posing before the show. I wanted to get my testosterone up, my cortisol down. And you will perform measurably better in whatever the next activity is if you take the time to do that. The other side, when you're in that low power pose, so just picture yourself kind of sitting in a chair looking at your phone, right? Looking down, shoulders shoulders are kind of in, chest is in, head is down, and you're on your phone. And what you're doing at that moment is your testosterone is going down by 10% and cortisol is going up by 15%. So it's really important body language. So imagine walking to a golf shot. You want to have your shoulders back and chest up and chin up. As a matter of fact, the team at Vision 54 with Pia Nielsen and Lynn Marriott, who, who've taught Annika Sorenstam and, and many actual tour players and both men and women right now, the coaches that they've trained and what they'll do with their players, they go watch them play. And they're taking notes about a lot, a lot of things, but especially body language, how they're walking down the fairway. What is their pre-shot routine? How long is their pre-shot routine? How are they actually standing in their body position before? And then what is their post-shot reaction? Because the, the studies are showing that the chemicals in your brain and the hormones in your body are affecting your golf game and they're affecting your life. But the great news is, Chris, you're in charge of it. You can take charge of your hormones. Who knew? <laughs> you know, it's a wonderful thing to know. <laughs> and, and Debbie, you also talked about how we can change how we feel in an instant by making an empowering move, one that each of us can, you know, create for ourselves. You know, when, when you were talking about that immediately, you know, it came to my mind, we, we saw Jordan Spieth's reaction, right? This past weekend when his sand shot went in and he won the playoff on Sunday, you talk about a, you know, an, a, you know, a, a move, right? Guys having a move or gals having a move. That's a heck of a move. But talk about, you know, what you mean by having a move and what that can do for us. In an instant, you can change how you feel. And this is neuro-linguistic programming. What happens is if you're in it, something great happens, like that Sancho, like for, for Jordan. But imagine, you can even just imagine yourself in that moment of glory or feeling just so happy and positive. And what I do to train it, as I did in the, the gift for the book, which is uh, livepositivegift.com, I believe is that website, right? Um, anyway, so what you do, I put music on and I say, okay, think happy thoughts, get in a happy state. And then I say, one, two, three, make your move. And my move is I kind of bend both my arms together and I make fists and it's a real powerful, strong, one second kind of yes, like as if you just won something, you know, like a, a fist pump or anything in that type of move with your body. It's a quick, sharp move that's powerful where you feel powerful, but get in a positive state to do it. If you keep doing that every time you're in a positive state, you've now trained that move to bounce you right into that. So in, a, in an instant, you go, boom, make your move. And then you're there. You get all those emotions and feelings come back because you've trained the neurotransmitters in your brain. You've got this pathway that says, oh, that move means this. And if you do that, 
when you're not feeling great, so say you have something coming up and something sad just happened, you heard some news, but you've got to go do a presentation or you've got to go play golf or you're, you're about, you had a tough hole and you need to bounce yourself out of that. You make your move, boom, make your move. And those good positive emotions will come back right away. And Debbie, talk about the importance, you know, in, for us, you know, whether it's in golf or in life, about ha- having strictly defined goals and writing a plan that, you know, that you can then go out and execute. Why is it so important for us to, you know, have a plan, write it down so that, you know, we can stay focused and go execute? You get what you focus on in life. I just actually listened to in my car again the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And the studies that that man did of the wealthiest, most successful people in the world, and it was a 20-year study that he did, is incredible when you look at the science of today. Because he didn't have all the science. He wasn't putting electrodes on people's brains and saying, okay, get in a happy state or get in a sad state or let me watch you perform and I'm going to see how your brain is going. He didn't have all that. He just listened and interviewed and watched and observed and came up with this amazing book. And about in every chapter, he talks about having a clear, defined purpose and goal that you want. I mean, to the point of, you know, when he's talking about the financial wealth is know exactly how much money you want to make at the end of the year and then next year and the next year and look at it and think about it and basically meditate on it at some point every single day and and put that there. And then whatever other goals you have, if you focus on succeeding and reaching those goals, this computer of ours that we call a brain will help you get there. But you have to tell it what you want. See, too many times people in life just kind of go with the flow every day and they don't take charge of the day that they want to create or the life that they want to live or the goals that they want to accomplish. They just kind of whatever the day. It's kind of like going down a river and you're sitting in the boat and just letting letting the water take you wherever it wants to go. Instead, you have... Not only do you have paddles, you have you have an, uh, an engine on the back of that thing. I mean, you are really in charge of the direction that your life goes, in charge of everything between from your thoughts to emotions, your feelings, but then to actually accomplishing those goals in every area of your life. And if you take charge of that and say, man, let me really think about what I want, whether it's on the golf course, off the golf course, wherever it is, write it down. And then write your reasons. Here's the, here's the really most important part, I think, are your reasons you want the goal, because that's the motivation to one, stick with it if you get a few no's or things aren't going as well. And then the other part is that motivation to do the work that it takes to get there. So that's the key. But having that focus out in front of you, I have a vision board. It's in my, I have a walk-in closet and it's right on the wall. And every day I look at that vision board and it has my goals on that and pictures of it or words or the way I want to live, you know, uh, it's, it's right there. I look at it every day. I know how much money I want to make at the end of this year and next year and the year after that. I know what I, I want in so many different areas of my life, and that's the key to getting there. Debbie, a couple of more things before we let you go. And one of the things that you also touch on in the book is the importance of hydration. Talk about how important water is to help prevent injuries and then, you know, being able to stay focused during our rounds of golf or, you know, out and about whatever we're doing. Uh, it's, I mean, if you look at even the earth, how much, how much water there is on earth, you think about our body, 
and how much the percent of water in our body and in our organs and the water that they need to function at peak performance. You know, and even speaking, I, I was, uh, you know, I'm always trying to get better and better at everything I do. And I'm reading about what things I can do to improve as a public speaker. And again, it's water because when you take a sip of water, that doesn't necessarily get the right amount of moisture in your vocal cords because the water has to go through your whole body and system to get into your vocal cords. So even, even for something like that, if you're, if you're doing a presentation, drink a lot of water the day before to keep your vocal cords, uh, moistened, but every organ in your body, and then it goes to that focus. And if you're dehydrated, you know, all of a sudden you, you can't focus on the shot you're about to hit. And then you don't have the energy to even hit that quality shot and you lose timing. It'll affect so much. So yeah, that's part of the book. I, I have that chapter on fundamentals and in that chapter it's it's the golf fundamentals, but it's also the life fundamentals of good nutrition and hydration, which is the the ultimate. I mean I and I tell a story in there about one of my students one day we were giving I was giving her a lesson and I noticed she was having a little trouble focusing and she wasn't swinging as well. Just like 10 minutes into the lesson, things changed. And I said to her, and it was a hot summer day in Florida, and I said to her, I said, have you had much water today? And she said, well, yeah, I took a little bit with my pills this morning. And I said, is that all you've had? And she said, yeah. I said, why don't we go inside and, you know, take a break? She said, yeah, you know, that sounds good. I wanted to look at a putter anyway. Well, she came into the pro shop, and I gave her a chair. She sits down. She passed out. I mean, she went wow. right out. We laid her on the ground, called the ambulance, and it was really, she was totally dehydrated. So as they're wheeling her out on the stretcher, she waved, put her hands in the air and says, hey, Debbie, same time next week for the lesson. <laughs> I laughed and I said, I said, hey, I'll call you and we'll, we'll schedule something. But it was hysterical. I'm thinking, just go get well, go drink a lot of water, and let's be smarter next time. <laughs> <laughs> And you also talk about a mixture you use when it's hot and humid outside. Talk about what that mixture is and what Himalayan pink salt is. Oh my goodness! All the electrolytes you need are in Himalayan pink the salt, which is phenomenal. See, the thing with me, I don't eat salt. I mean, sugar at all in my diet. So for me to have a Gatorade. And even the G2, which is a lot less sugar, that's the one I recommend if you like Gatorade and drink Gatorade. Go for the G2 because the sugar content is way down. But you do need the electrolytes that are in there. So I struggled with, I didn't want to drink any sugary drinks. And I also don't like to drink the drinks that are even sweetened with the chemical type sweeteners. So uh, I found out from a nutritionist, actually from a friend of mine on the LPGA uh, teaching club professional. She's actually playing in the KPMG this, this week. Uh, so it, she told me, she said, you know what the key is? The Himalayan sea salt. And she found this out from her nutrition, nutritionist. It's all the electrolytes you need. And then I put some lemon in it in the water. And that's the mixture I use. I have to warn you, it's not the best tasting, but if you're looking for some <laughs> results, it's it's really perfect, and that worked beautifully for me. We played our national championship in Orlando, Florida one year at Reunion Resort, and it was hot. Well, I drank that not only the day before and then all throughout before, during, and even after the round, and I felt fine. I, I didn't lose a beat as far as physically. So, Debbie, remind our listeners how they can get either a hard copy of your book or get the download version like I did for uh, for my Kindle app. How can they go online and get that? The best place to go is Amazon.com and then just 
put in the search button, golf positive, live positive, and it'll come right up. You'll click right onto my book. And you know what was so exciting for me, Chris? I did get to number one best-selling author um, in the golf category over the last three days, which was so exciting to see up there. And then I looked at the actual book sales, and I was number seven on the list of golf books. And it was right there next to Ben Hogan's book and Dave Pell's and other well-known authors wow. and, and golf instructors. And it was, you know, one of those moments where you just are like, yes. And, and here's what I encourage people to do. And there's a whole chapter on celebrating. Celebrate your successes. And that doesn't mean to be braggocious about things. But there's people who will get excited with you, and then you can take that time for yourself to say, wow, I did it, and get excited about something. And take a moment of celebration, because when you achieve a goal and you take a moment to pat yourself on the back and celebrate it and say, yes, I did it, and with a big smile or do something special, I did a book signing on Monday night in my hometown where I grew up, and then we went out and we celebrated together. You know what happens inside your brain? You want to achieve the next goal, because that's fun. That's fun to do. And do that at work, too. When you finish a big project, take a moment to just say, yes, I did it. And, you know, even every day with my Fitbit, it, when it vibrates and I hit my 10,000 steps, I take a moment and I put my hands in the air and I say, I am in the habit of achieving my goals. Yes. And I take that moment and I celebrate. And then and I'm teaching all these kids and, and even the adults that I'm um, doing my speaking engagements because Oh, these little kids now when I'm in my girls golf program or in the leadership academy, you know what? They're achieving goals and they're celebrating. And then you know what happens? You want to achieve the next one. And then you want to achieve the next one. And then it, you celebrate each and every time. And before you know it, you are in the habit of achieving your goals and your brain will absolutely listen to you. So celebrate when you're out there. And and I've been excited and celebrating about the book. So it's, it's golf positive, live positive, amazon.com. Just search it. You can get both the Kindle version or the and or the hard copy and I hope you really enjoy it use the technique it's my success strategy called core triumph and you can achieve any goal if you follow those steps that's fantastic stuff Debbie remind our listeners as well about uh, about your website and how they can follow you on social media yeah, absolutely. Everything on the social media is really golf positive or my name. I have a, a personal Facebook, Debbie O'Connell, and then the uh, golf positive one. Twitter's golf positive. Instagram's golf positive. Uh, Pinterest is golf positive. So you can follow me on those. My website is golfpositive.com. And I also have another website called livepositive.biz. And that's where I'm putting the, the corporate speaking engagements that I'm doing. I have this Accelerate program for corporations, which is uh, all about culture and engagement in corporations, really not about golf unless they want it to be, but it's about the culture and that positive and teamwork uh, at, in the work environment. So people can enjoy their days at work and celebrate their successes. So that's livepositive.biz. And I'm doing, Chris, my first live event. It'll be in New Jersey and uh, on Route 17. If anyone knows New Jersey, they'll know Route 17. In East Rutherford, we're doing a four-hour live transformational event to try to help people make their lives even better in every category. So I'm excited about that, and that information's on there as well. So golfpositive.com or livepositive.biz, and the book is Golf Positive, Live Positive. Great stuff as always, Debbie. Thank you so much for coming back and being on the show. I always love, you know, the opportunity to get to spend a few minutes with you. Much success to you with the book, and I hope you'll come back soon, share more of your uh, tips and insights with me, because like I say, one of the best segments of the show is always the time I get to spend with you. 
Well, you are so sweet, and you're amazing at what you do and what you're doing for the game and all the golf fans out there and how you inspire them and, and help their games along. So thank you for the opportunity. I always enjoy chatting with you, Chris. All right. Take care, Debbie. We'll hopefully catch up with you again soon. In between now and then, all the best to you and your family. Thank you so much. Happy Independence Day. Bye-bye. <laughs> Same to you. Thanks, Debbie. That's Debbie O'Connell, and she spells her last name O apostrophe C-O-N-N-E-L-L. It's golfpositive.com. Folks, I'm telling you, if you go on, if you go on her site and you start to really, you know, take a look at what she's doing and the messages she has, and, you know, if, if you take nothing away from, you know, the segments with Debbie, it's, you know, doing, you know, giving yourself the, po- the good positive talk, right? You know, it's not getting down on yourself and, you know, getting upset about a poor swing or a poor hole or a poor round of golf and all of those sorts of things. It's really retraining your brain to think about it in a more positive way and, can't thank Debbie enough for her time today and continuing to come back on the show as often as she has. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. But before we close up shop, I always like to remind you about our friend PGA Tour Pro Jim Estes and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association. Let's hear a word from Jim. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, they continue to do amazing things over there at the Salute Military Golf Association. To find out more information and how you can get involved, go to smga.org. I also want to send a big thank you to our good friends over at Podbean for making Next on the Tee and our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, regularly featured podcasts on both their website and their mobile app. You can see us featured right there in their sports and recreation section. We really appreciate their support and what they're doing to promote our shows. It means a great deal to us. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, well, we hope you're doing it via the Podbean podcast app. And on their app, you can get instant updates. You know, we publish every time we publish a new episode, you're going to find out about it. It's free. It's got a lot of great features that let you easily discover, listen, and even publish a podcast for yourself. Whether you use an Android or an iPhone, Podbean is the app for your podcasting needs. Get it now on Google Play or the Apple App Store so you can enjoy more of the podcasts that you love. And we hope two of them are next on the TN Thursday Night Tailgate. Again, podbean.com. All right, everybody, my sincere thanks again to Travis Fulton, Mark Wiebe, Terry Kaler, and Debbie O'Connell for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this show today. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Give us a comment. Tell us what you think about the show. Plus, if you've got a question you know, for one of our future guests, let me know, and we'll get it on the show for you. You can go on our website, nextonthetee.net, to see who 
some of our future guests are going to be. Please also check out our, like I say, our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari, our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. And that show, like this one, available as a free podcast, like I say, both on Podbean and our good friends over at TuneIn.com as well. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends who share their stories from their playing days and share insights into today's game as well. We also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find both shows online. Again, this show, next on the T.net and ThursdayNightTailgate.com. Plus, you know, when you go on our sites, you can also stream or download our, our shows for free uh, from there as well. Thanks again for choosing to listen to this show today. We really appreciate it. We know you got hundreds of podcasts and shows to stream or to download. We really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, my friends, hit them straight. Next on the tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.